This week on the podcast, we talk about your shoes. They suck, and here's why. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of the Average to Athletic Podcast. My name is Graham, and I'm your host, and today we're going to talk about your feet, specifically your shoes. And this is something I get oddly enough very passionate about I don't know why I you know I don't think you you choose your passions your passions choose you and people's feet are something I care a lot about which doesn't make any sense I don't have any stake in it but after working with people for years and seeing probably at this point thousands of feet uh, individual feet so divide that by two for people you see a lot of commonality in terms of the problems that people face Um, and it's this ironic cognitive dissonance that people are focused on their hands, their grips, their elbow, and all of the function of the upper body, but they never think about the fact that their feet exist too and have a tremendous amount, if not more, of an impact on your body because of the fact that they are the first point of contact with the ground. So we're going to talk about how shoes and your feet impact your entire body, then we're going to talk about the different types of shoes, how to pick a good shoe, and then a few things like arch support, how if we should be barefoot. Um, how to train your feet, and then you know what to do about all of this uh, marketing for different types of shoes. But we'll start with this idea that your feet are important. And the main thought behind that is that they are the first point of contact with the ground. So if your heels are raised, it'll shift you forward. If your toes are raised, it'll shift you backwards. And you think about the Leaning Tower of Pisa, it's not leaning because the top floor is too heavy. It's leaning because the bottom, the foundation is is fundamentally shifted. And if humans were a straight pole, we would have that same effect, but we don't have that because our knees, ankles, hips, and back can all compensate for that. However, when so much of the bad posture language and the idea that you look, people are looking at their phones and looking at the ground and their shoulders are slumped over in this bad position that causes shoulder pain, anything that's going to shift you forward, whether it be a raised heel or just poor spinal mechanics, those are going to have effects on everything up the chain. So where your feet are and how their position actually matters. And so most shoes and footwear have a raised heel. And some of that is an aesthetic thing. Another part of that is a technological adaptation to help you run and, and change the way we move. But what this means is that we rarely get natural dorsiflexion. And so what that means is your ankles, so if your foot's on the ground, if you push your knee forward, like so your knee's going over your toe, that's dorsiflexion. The alternative of that, if you pointed your foot away, so you increase the angle from your toe to your knee, that's called plantar flexion. And when we're walking, almost all of the ground we walk on, whether it's a path or a sidewalk or a road or just even inside buildings, it's this pristine two-dimensional ground. So you never really get a lot of stimulus that would push your ankle left and right or forward or backwards unless you're walking up hills. And for many people, that becomes a rare thing. They may do once or twice a year. That's called hiking. And for most people, they don't even do that. So this idea that our ankles become stiff because of anatomy, sure, that is a part of it, the way you were born. But a bigger part is the fact that you're not getting any stimulus. So you think about a hinge. I use this analogy all the time. The way to fix a rusty hinge is you put WD-40 on it or some type of lubricant, and then you work it through 100 or 1,000 reps. So little changes over time happen because if you just try and crank on it, it's going to snap. And so in many ways, that's the solution to fixing dorsiflexion and, and stiff ankles is to improve the amount of natural stimulus we get. 
And the thing is that when you have a raised heel shoe, it means you're already in some of that position, but because your foot is angled forward, you don't have to move the knee as far forward to keep moving and you get limited amount of exposure to that. The other part of that is that thick, thick cushioned shoes, so almost all of the running shoes and most shoes that we wear that have a, let's say a half inch to an inch and a half of whether it's rubber or cushion on the bottom, they alter the way we run. And so this idea of a heel strike, which is a whole other thing I am just over the top about. Heel striking is not the way you run, but I'll do that in another podcast lest this go four hours. Um, this idea, though, that when you wear shoes with a thick heel, it allows you to strike with your heel, which absorbs a tremendous amount of force. And that's a walking pattern. But now that we have this technology that allows you to soften the blow every step you take, People can get away with running, and that's a you know, long distance runners primarily do this, and it makes it, it it's problematic up the chain. But having a raised heel shoe actually make it makes it harder because if you were to land on the mid or the forefoot, so basically on the balls of your feet, the front of the foot, it's harder because you have to raise your heel up higher than you would have because you now have another inch or half inch of foam or fabric beneath you. So. It's not a it's it's not just a postural thing, but it's also a movement problem. So that goes into this idea of when you're moving, there's something you probably have heard of called pronation, which simply refers to your foot's ability to splay and kind of rock in or out. So it's pronation is like if you land on the outside of your foot and then it kind of rolls in, rolling out, like that's pronation. And it's a natural thing. It's literally how we absorb force when you land. So if you think of someone that does parkour or I don't know, for whatever reason, jumps off the top of a building and they land and they roll. That's exactly what it is. It's spreading out the force so it's not all absorbed at one space. So pronation is natural. But the problem is, is that when we don't have the intrinsic support of the muscles and the ligaments and structures in our feet, what happens is that we now are altered. We don't, so when we, so what happens when we pronate, it becomes painful. And that's not a problem with the pronation. But when we try to address that problem with this passive stability, so pronation control shoes or you know your eversion or alpha or whatever it is to fix all the support, that alters the way our calf or ankle or foot or knee or hip are able to move. And that causes pain and tightness and all kind of altered mechanics up the chain that may not show until later on when as a side effect to a improper addressing of the problem. So we just keep going. So also thick bottom shoes. So let's say if you have an inch of cushion underneath, basically, if you're standing on a platform, you don't you you are, you're more likely to laterally roll your ankle. So ankle sprains are much more common because if you step and you have to push sideways or you step and you let's say you step on a stick and it rolls, you now have another inch that your foot can slide off of that. And it becomes instead of being close to the ground where your foot isn't going to drop, Let's say you step and you, for whatever reason, are planting and moving sideways. You step on a stick or a rock and it pushes you sideways. You now have another inch that's more likely to drop off this precipice. So there, it, you know, the lateral stability is lost there as well. And last, tight shoes. Well, I'm sure there's others, but last um, that I could think of in the moment. Tight shoes prevent your toes from moving well. So think about if you wore gloves that were really, really restrictive and prevented your hands from moving. So if you've ever had mittens that there's a thumb compartment and then just one big compartment for the rest of your fingers. That's basically what shoes are like. They prevent your toes from moving. And that means that over time, you lose muscle strength 
and dexterity, but also your your feet the feet musculature atrophy, the shape of your foot changes, and you lose the ability to move your toes independently. And then after years and years, you go, well, it's weird that you can move your toes at all. It's like not really. So all of that goes to why your shoes and your feet matter. And if you're not careful, you can end up in a position for years that is pushing you towards a less controlled, less structured, less functional place. So to step back and look at shoes, there's three main types of of shoes, or I guess potentially ways that you would pick a shoe. And there's aesthetic shoes, performance shoes, and then let's say training shoes are really everyday shoes, okay? So with aesthetic shoes, the value is based on visual appeal, that's it. Whether these are work shoes, shoes you get dressed up for a hot date, um, let's say just, you know, you're going to school and you've got the latest, you know, LeBron's or basketball shoe or, you know, with the Adidas or whatever it is, you're simply picking them because they look good. Okay. It doesn't matter how they feel or if they're functional or, or anything along those lines. It's that visual appeal. Okay. So that's there. It exists. We'll deal with that later. There's performance shoes, which are the values based on the ability that it, the shoe provides through technology. And Shoes are technology in, in many senses of the word because they allow us to potentially move and not injure our foot. Let's say we can walk over a, a broken glass. We can walk through sharp rocks. We can kick something. We can have better grip on the ground. Those are technological features. And that is a fantastic thing because it allows us to be more functional and not have to be, you know, same thing, gloves and eye mask and all this stuff. But sometimes the performance abilities become a replacement for the fact that our foot is should be able to have stability and structure in that in in its just basic being right so performance this is thinking of your work boots or your steel-toed work boots um, that are higher up in the ankle to keep you know things from going into your shoe cleats that have uh, like metal or plastic cleats on the bottom that help you grip so like golf shoes stuff like that um even things that prevent you from rolling in and out. So the shoes that are developed to prevent foot movement. So those are all technological adaptations, whether it's, you know, weightlifting shoe that helps you with a raised heel, those alter the position of the foot or what's around the foot to improve what you can do. Okay. So those should be short term things for one outcome. And then in the middle, the vast majority of what you're wearing are these training or everyday shoes. So training, a lot of people think of workout shoes, but in many ways, they're what you would also kick on if you got to run to the food store or, I don't know, go take your dog for a walk or work out. They should all be in that same thing. And the problem is that people are picking these training shoes based off of a performance or an aesthetic metric when they should be thinking about it as based off their functionality. How well does it maximize your foot and your ankle's ability to move? So this is what I'm going to focus on now. And there are three elements of a good training shoe that's every day that you should really focus on. First, it needs to be flat. Second, it needs to be flexible. And third, it needs to be wide in the toe box. And so flat meaning that the toes, so the balls of your feet and your toes are on the same level as the heel. So you don't have a raised heel when you're not wearing shoes your feet and your heels are on the same exact level. You're barefoot, you're on the ground. And it doesn't make much, you're, you're able to function if you weren't born without shoes. So it doesn't make much sense that you would now alter to have a raised heel, much of which is based off an aesthetic visual appeal or making you taller. So thinking about the fact that even if you have a cushion underneath, there's something called zero, zero drops. So you wanna look for shoes that are zero drop shoes. 
Um, Reebok tends to make more shoes along that line. Uh, the new Nike Metcons, much of the functional training shoes these days have a closer, uh, you know, they're getting closer to that zero drop. Uh, Merrill is a great one, and there's other that I can't think of off the top of my head that are, are good brands that are generally doing that, but they kind of fall in this idea of minimalist. But that doesn't mean that there's nothing underneath it. You can have a half inch of support or quarter inch of support that is flat, so the heel and the toe are on the same ground. Second, flexible. So if you look at a cleat or a typical shoe that's made for like a sprinting, they tend to have a stiffer midsole. And so this is also true with lifting shoes or performance shoes. That stiff midsole basically makes it harder for the shoe to bend and then quicker for it to go back off. So it's kind of like a spring. So it creates an effect. So if you were to sprint or run or lift and you were to jump, that bending is resisted, but then the unbending, so the extension of like jumping off, it, it kind of like acts as a spring underneath you. And that is a performance adaptation, which has a good, it's very beneficial if you're trying to run or compete or do some performance metric. But what that does is it also makes it harder for your foot to naturally flex and extend move, right? Anything that's going to take away from your foot's ability to do what it should be able to do on its own is going to limit the strength and the control over time. So the more flexible, meaning you should be able to roll it up, you should be able to bend it in half without much effort. That's the most, and that's the second thing. Third, it needs to be wide in the toe box. Certain shoemakers like Nike, for whatever reason, think that your heel is the widest and your toe comes to a point. It's not like like an elf shoe or uh, like um, there is for years and years and maybe still now, I don't know. But in the Chinese culture, the idea of having bigger feet was not aesthetically pleasing. So there was foot binding, especially among women, that they would wrap their feet. I remember my grandmother showed me uh, she they were two Porter Ford shoes. And so she just had to stuff her feet into smaller shoes. And to this day, well, she's passed now. So, you know. It hasn't changed, I guess. But in two of the points she showed me, and she's an old seasoned lady, her feet, like her toes and pinkies were kind of smushed underneath. And it's as though your feet are getting smashed into this object. In reality, your feet splay, your toes spread out, especially as you move. And if your shoes aren't wide enough to be able to manage that, you're going to have limited functionality. So your feet should be narrower at the heel and wider at the toe, even if that doesn't look as good, right? We're talking about functionality. So... Keep those in mind when you're looking for shoes. The next common question I always get because I have this conversation with everybody because everyone has feet and they're all trying to figure out the shoes is what about arch support? <laughs> I, you know, I wear these, uh, they're Merrill, they're Vapor Gloves, three air, it doesn't matter, but they're like really, really thin and narrow. And I'll talk about that in a minute, but there's like nothing to them. And people go, well, what about support? What about, you know, shouldn't, what about your arches? What about your feet? Shouldn't they be supported? And I get this, I get, it always cracks me up because it's like, well, what do people do for thousands of millions of years? They didn't have shoes. They didn't have shoes with support and cutting edge pronation control. This idea is that shoes are supposed to provide for your feet what your feet couldn't provide for themselves. It has a place when you're talking about walking over glass and not hurting your foot, but it loses its argument when you think about the fact that your feet have musculature. Your arch, whether or not it's a high arch or a small, it, that's all. That's more defined by your anatomy and genetics. But there is still an arch relative to every single foot size. So whether you have a high arch, it gets higher when you engage it. When you have a flat foot, there is an arch development as you grip the ground and move and control. Your feet are designed to be strong and capable. 
There are people now, even when the Kenyan runners and the people from a lot of the African runners come over, they're not wearing these, you know, they haven't been wearing these massive shoes for their whole life. They develop strength in their feet by being in minimal shoes or running or being barefoot a lot of the time. You weren't born without shoes, so your feet are completely capable of being without it. I want you to think about this idea of uh, casts. So like a cast is something that if you've hurt your foot or you've broken an arm, it prevents movement which is irreplaceable in that moment. But when you put your feet in a cast and it takes away, which a shoe is, let's say a very tight binding thing, so it can be a loose cast, but nonetheless it prevents motion, which is what a cast does. When you put your feet in that object, over time you lose strength. If you've ever broken a hand or a wrist or had some, you know, something that required a brace or a cast, you know after a few weeks you lose strength, you lose dexterity in that digit, in that hand, or, or whatever the body part is. That is happening with your feet if you are in a very tight or restrictive shoe. Same thing is true of insults. People want to say, well, my doctor's given me this insult because I've had this, or I've got pronation, or I've got high arches, or I've got you know plantar fasciitis. And in many cases, when you do have something like plantar fasciitis or a foot pain, you need to stabilize the foot to prevent movement because that's an overuse thing. And it is almost impossible to stabilize the foot and still move and live unless you put something in there. So as a short-term thing, that can be fantastic. But this idea that you just put an insole in and then you just wear it and it stays there for years, the vast majority of conversations I have when I see people, they're like, oh, my, take the, tell them to take their shoes off because we do a lot of barefoot movement. We'll talk about that in a minute. And... They take the shoe off and I invariably just invade their privacy and look in their shoe. And I'm like, well, what is this? When You never told me you had an insole. And they go, oh, I just, you know, I've had it for years. I'm like, well, why did you start using it? I don't know. I had high arches or my doctor said I should do it. And it's like, it, that would be like if you got injured and you hurt your knee, you had surgery and you got on crutches. That'd be fantastic because it lets you move and walk. But if four years later or two years later, I see you and you're still on crutches, I'd say, oh, did you get hurt again? Oh, no, I just never got off from my surgery four years ago. That's bananas to anybody. Like, There's no one that would think that that's okay. Yet that's what we do with insoles. So my problem is not that insoles are irrelevant and don't have a use. They do. But it is so rare that they're ever used in context of this is a very short-term thing. Now look also at your feet and your ankles and your, your movements so you can strengthen those and move past it. Insoles have this thing where there's podiatrists that make their living selling insoles. And they have a several hundred dollar custom insole. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I, in many ways, it's a waste of money because there's no progression. And this is the equivalent of... Let's say you have bad for bad posture, you know, that's a whole other conversation, but you, you slouch over and your back hurts and you're always looking at the ground. Instead of saying, well, maybe if you thought about the way you stood or the muscles you used or didn't look at your phone 17 hours a day, they said, oh, well, we're, we've got this beautiful whalebone corset. We're going to have it custom tailored to be bespoke and fit your body. And it's going to hold you upright in this position. Women were, in, women were in corsets for hundreds of years just because it looked good and proper and pushed them upright. And yet we understand that it's ridiculous. It forces your ribs to change their shape. It's so tight. That's what's called a passive support. It basically puts you in a position. Insoles do the same thing. They say, this is exactly how your foot should work in this one instant. And then they hold you there. I would never put something in a corset because they have a weak core or quote-unquote bad posture. 
And you should never just put your feet in something that's going to hold them, this posture correcting shoe or this insult. You should never do that simply because, oh, I need to, man, I need to be able to actualize this position. It doesn't work like that. So I'm, I'm getting upset. I'm getting upset. I'll calm down. That leads to the question of, okay, so what do we do? Should we just be barefoot? Well, yes and no, all right? If you've been wearing shoes for more than two years of your life, really like the whole life you can remember, and you can't remember the last time you spent any amount of time barefoot other than just you know getting out of bed to walk to the, put your flip-flops on and in home, there's a transition because your feet are not at a place where they can support movement and they're not strong enough. Does that mean you need to go to insoles and really strong shoes? No, it means you need to step away from those. But you also have to understand that spending more time barefoot, thinking about moving your toes, thinking about the way your ankles move, developing strength by having you know part of your training through your week should be focused around your feet. So there's this whole idea of training your feet and your ankles to actually be able to move and do what you want them to do. And here's your analogy. So if I say here, um, you know, we're going to go outside, it's cold, or I need you to put this glove on because we got to clean this blood up off the ground or whatever it is. I don't know why there's blood, but there is. Or cleaning a bathroom, maybe. And I say, oh, well, I, I can't get my hand in the glove. And it's like, oh, is it too small? No, I just can't get my fingers to move. You know, they, they don't really move well. And, I, you know, I can't. There's the whole, like, thing about putting your fingers in each little glove sleeve for your fingers. I just can't do it. You'd freak out because it's like, I can't move my fingers. That's ridiculous. Yet, we're okay with that with your feet. Like, oh, I, I can't move my toes. And, you know, even the idea of the five-finger shoes, it's like a lot of people complain that oh, I can't get my toes in. That doesn't bother you. That's not ridiculous to you that something that's two feet away from where your hands are, you can't move. It's on your body. So you have to actually move and think about the fact that your feet and your your feet are wired much like your hands for dexterity, but you have to use them. If you don't use it, you lose it. So the first step is to be barefoot more often. So thinking about this idea of when you're at home, when you're you know relaxed and things are just okay, you're not running or doing anything crazy, be barefoot. You know, move your toes around. Don't even wear socks. Just spend time thinking about when you're sitting on the couch. Wiggle your toes. Move your feet around. That's a huge first step. Second, you can add in things like tiptoe walks. If you're uh, playing a sport, you know, and you're on a field, do some barefoot jogging after practice. Even if you're at the gym, you can do some barefoot jogging. Almost all of my clients, especially when they come in with crap with not good shoes, um, I make them take the shoes off. We'll lift them in their socks and. It's not like we're doing something high intense and they need to grip the ground or they could slip. It's you are actually engaging with your foot flat on the ground and you have to learn to balance. And you'd be amazed how much harder it is to balance on a barefoot than it is to balance in a shoe. So then, and there's also like you're lifting your big toes, lifting your little toes. I've got a video I can link in here with a foot routine that I've created for clients that's worked really well with kind of a full routine for your feet and ankles. It only takes like three minutes, but adding that in, and just in the way you train your biceps or your chest or your legs, train your feet. And there, give yourself months, if not years, to get used to less, restric less restrictive shoes and build this movement competency over time. When I switched from, I don't know, I was wearing like the Reebok something or others and Nike shoes and I ran for years as a, when I was younger... I you know wore the Asics really thick shoes like I didn't know any better and then when I switched to more minimalist what I'm wearing now which is basically like a you know a tiny little sole and just a everyone makes fun of me and like oh they're water shoes or the mountain climbing I'm like just make stop making fun of me my feet don't hurt 
it's it's awkward because yeah, it is weird to feel the ground. It is weird that you step. As I remember when I first wore them, I was like, man, the ground feels really hard. Has the ground always been this hard? Or sometimes you can feel the cracks, you can feel things, and your toes move, and it takes time. And you do. There is a physical comfort level of getting used to not you know the ground isn't soft it's not this cushy little sweet thing like people go oh they look so good and they're so comfortable yeah but at what cost i mean is comfort your e-all be-all end-all are you okay just sacrificing your feet just so that they can walk around you might as well just wear you know sleepy pajamas with a pillow built in in the back of your neck so you can just fall asleep whenever like that's really the equivalent of having those little neck pillows when you go to an airplane and you sleep you wear that all the time well, yeah, it looks silly, but, you know, it's so comfortable. And my feet are so comfortable. And my, I'm in sweatpants all the time. Juicy tracksuit. Like, if you're too young, you probably don't get that reference of the, the juicy sweatpants, but whatever. It takes time to get used to the idea of being in something that lets your feet move and you can feel more. And, yes, when I do go running in them, and I do go running in them, don't start off doing that. But it when you step on a rock, it does hurt. It is a little bit more uncomfortable. I mean, you get used to it very quickly, but it's not like it's this beautiful, wonderful transition. If you've ever lifted and put a bar on your back, the first time you do that or the first time you hold something that's, you know, let's say it, it tears at your hands a little bit, your body gets calluses. You get used to the pressure of the bar on your back and you adjust. That will happen with your feet. But it takes time because you now have to give your feet and the muscles and structures that you've never used for 20, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, if you're 70, it's probably another story, but you now have to get those, the ligaments, the muscles, the feet, the dexterity time to adjust. And this is one of the bigger problems. People who in Vibram release their five finger toes, those little glove things for your feet. A lot of people, they're like, oh, this is great. It'll fix all these problems. But what wasn't clearly transferred or understood at the time is yeah, if you transition to them over several months, maybe even a year or two. It took me about a year to get used to being, and I had little pains in my calf, my hip, my back, my hamstring, my foot. But all of that was simply because I, I was in a different place. I had an ankle sprain, a really bad one that completely messed up a lot of my arch, and my foot would always turn out to always turn out to the side. And it just, I was undoing a lot of that at the same time. And it wasn't a clean, smooth process. It did take a lot of time. So when you transition, don't just jump into barefoot running or using those like super minimalist shoes. The first thing you can do is find a shoe that's flat, that's flexible, and wider than the toe box. That's a step. And don't start running in them. Don't If you're a runner, don't just jump into that. But yeah, play around with taking your insole out. Play around with finding a flatter shoe. And start doing this every you know two or three months, two months, you no insole but the same shoe. And then after that, two months of, I got a flat shoe. And then after that, you know, think about the fact that, okay, maybe I need to have a less restrictive shoe, the one that bends a little bit more. And give yourself that time. Don't get impatient. You're going to be alive, hopefully, in six months, a year, six years, ten years. So just start and don't expect amazing results right away. But you will be amazed at how a lot of the problems will improve and your running, your running speed and everything will also get better. But that's another, time, another topic. So last thoughts to finish up here are some of the ideas of don't I need different shoes for different activities like I gotta have my running shoes for running and my basketball shoes to play basketball and my weightlifting shoes for lifting but my conditioning shoes for doing any type of metabolic stuff my hiking shoes for hiking my trail running shoes because trails are different than roads tennis shoes for tennis golf shoes for golf 
some of these shoes have valuable and you know technology that has merit. So the raised heel and lifting shoes, the gripping cleats on uh, golf shoes, or the plastic cleats on sprinting shoes, and basketball has a little bit higher ankle protection. It, you can go down the line, right? But much of this is is marketing. Marketing pushes you of these big companies to think about the shoe. So you know, your feet are not okay to do this thing unless you have this thing. And for many people, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, when they grew up, they had Chuck Taylors. That was it. You wore them to school. You played basketball in them. You ran in them. You did everything in them. And the idea is that, oh, shoe technology has gotten better and better. If shoe technology were really improving over the last 50 years, you should also see a subsequent drop in soft tissue injury and overuse injury. And that's not happening. It's not getting better. So there's something fundamentally flawed in this idea that thinking about your shoe, your foot needs to fit into the shoe versus your shoe needs to fit your foot is backwards. You think about the shoe is made for the foot. The foot is not made for the shoe, okay? And just because a shoe is made by an athletic brand, Nike, Adidas, whatever it is, does not make it an athletic shoe. You you got to think a little bit more clearly. One of the most popular shoes right now is these um, Adi um, Adidas Boost or something like that. I don't know. They're, if you find a kid that's under the age of eighteen, I will bet you one out of every five, one out of every three has them. So they're horrible. They're ridiculous, and they're athletic. People go work out and they come see me in classes or in training sessions. I'm like, why are you wearing that here? If you were running late for softball practice, you wouldn't forget, you know, if you're going to softball practice, you would not bring a bat or golf. You would not bring clubs or clubs, not gloves. Think about the fact that what you're wearing for your feet is a valuable and important part of your overall development and health as an athlete. So the last, last point is you need to think about this, but also in terms of other types of shoes. So the performance and aesthetic shoes they having consistency between those will help so that you're not like spending all your time in one shoe but then you wear flip-flops so they go to the pool and then you wear high heels to go out on a date and then you got this and then you know you're training in raised heel shoes but then most cleats are flat there's a big reason that soft tissue injury happens when you're performing and playing sports or doing any type of like athletic thing because that's when you're going 100% so you want to prepare your feet in the same way that you would prepare for a 100% output you wouldn't if you were a gymnast you wouldn't prepare with a different song or in a different place that has a different equipment than the one you'd compete in you think about the fact that you're preparing for the competition so first off stop wearing flip-flops and sandals stop it if it doesn't have something that wraps around the heel don't wear it the reason being is that every step as you naturally step your toes if you look at your feet when they're barefoot your toes flare out, they spread out to grab the ground. That's natural. Every single step, walking, running, the same thing. When you're wearing flip-flops or something that's not tied around the heel, your feet have to clench down to keep your shoe from falling off. So those little sliders and those little, you know, like rainbows, they're literally causing you problems long-term that you don't even notice because you're clenching your foot down, which creates a tighter plantar fascia. And if you have plantar fasciitis and you're wearing these all the time, or you have foot problems or you stiff ankles or calves, stop wearing flip-flops. Get a Traco or some type of sandal that goes around the back of your heel so that your toes can move naturally. Plain and simple. Flip-flops ruin athletes and people. 
Uh, boots. So this is like if you wear stiff shoes for work-related, you know, let's say you're on a construction site or you need steel-toed boots or whatever, you like the way they look. It is what it is. I get it. You, you know, in the military, in the Army, you got to do what you got to do. But at the same time, understand that that limits your ankle movement and that does limit your foot movement. So you have to, you can get boots that are flat so that they're heel and toe are on the same level and you can get them so that they're a little bit more flexible. Those things are very important. Make sure that they're wide enough for your feet to move. Those are all non-negotiable. Definitely pick those if you can. But if you can't and you play you know, hockey, let's say the way that their skates are laced up around the ankle, there's ways you can try to mitigate that by loosening up some of the ankle supports or just being more mindful of that wear your shoes in so that you can bend them and get them more loose and if you can't do any of that make sure you prioritize doing some ankle motion afterwards move your feet around move your toes around after you're wearing these shoes to undo some of that right you can't it's not a perfect situation but that's life but thinking about the fact that okay i'm compromised so to speak in this level let me do some stuff to undo that and then high-heeled shoes, whether you're in a, you know, men that wear the, like, you know, dress shoes or whatever, they're stiff, they're narrow, they're tight, and they have a raised heel that's very stiff. Get flat shoes, same thing with the work boots, applies. And ladies that wear the, the two, three, four, five, six-inch heels, understand that those have very serious demands on the foot, and they can cause problems and pain over time. You can't just walk around in 8-inch or 6-inch stilettos and not realize that that's a tremendous amount of plantar flexion all the time. The more you can limit those or understand that, okay, maybe I do need to do some foot stuff after wearing them. And if you're wearing them for work, find a different option. You don't have to wear 4-inch heels or, man, you don't have to wear the, the raised heel dress shoes. There's lots of loafers or better options that will be a better fit for your foot because if you wear that 40 hours a week for work, and then you want to go to the gym or go run after, you know, one your calf and your ankle and everything tighten up because you're wearing really crappy shoes. All right. I think that's enough of that for now. I obviously care a lot about the feet and it affects everybody. So thank you so much for listening. If you have a question, I will talk about this for days. If you want to know how this applies to your foot, email me. The simple one is it's contact at gramtuttle.com. With any foot question, shoe question, happy to help. Um, and if you think I'm wrong, please email me then. I would love to talk about that. So thank you so much. If you've got someone that needs help or you need help picking shoe, send them this podcast, share it. Please like and subscribe uh, if you haven't already, which you should. It's the greatest podcast ever. Other than that, than that, I will talk to you next week. Thank you. Bye.